Well, good morning. Good morning. So good to be with you and preach God's word to you today. It's a blessing, a blessing to baptize those four adults and children. Uh, my name is Danny Forshee, and if you're a guest here today, we're delighted that you're here. I'm the lead pastor of Great Hills, and um, one of our uh, pastors is away from us today, Brother Terry Hurt, who usually leads us in worship. Thank you, Corey, for doing a great job. You always do a wonderful job. But Terry is at our church plant today at Cornerstone <clears throat> Community Church there in Cedar Park, Leander. Remember in January, they, we sent out about 30 of our people with one of our pastors, and they are already averaging 85 people on Sunday morning, which is, which is really remarkable. So we thank the Lord for them. So they are uh, enjoying Brother Terry as he leads them uh, in worship today. Before we get into the text, as I have promised, I want to just give a brief, brief update uh, as to where we are financially as a church. I'll, I just want this month of July just to be as clear, clear as I can. You say, why did you choose July? I don't really know. I just felt July, every one of these uh, Sunday, Sundays in July. So uh, as I said over the last few weeks, we as a church have phased out something called building vision. And we phased it out because we've really reached most of our goals of the coffee shop, the flooring, the golf carts, the LED screen, the new library, all those things, a lot of those new things that you see, uh, you raised $1.5 million over uh, your tithes. And so I, I thank you and we're grateful for that. And so on the envelopes, it still has the words building vision, but we're phasing that out. But you say, well, then that means we don't need to give money. We're all great. No, we do need your tithes as that goes towards the budget of our church, running all the operations of a church like this, uh, our, our mortgage payment on our debt, our utilities, electricity, staff, all of those things that we pay for through your, through your tithes. Also on the envelope, you'll notice it says missions there. And I wanna bring, uh, accentuate that in your mind for just a moment. That, that money, that goes to us as a church, being able to do amazing things throughout the world in the area of missions. Uh, sponsoring our partners, uh, supporting so many wonderful ministries, not only in Austin, but literally all over the world. So as you give your tithes to our budget, that is wonderful and we need it. And by the way, I am speaking to our church members, uh, not those who are guests. Some of you are guests today and I do not, ever, I, I hardly ever begin my sermon talking about money, so please don't be offended. Uh, but I am talking to our church people because during the summer months where we're really, really low on our tithing part, so I'm just encouraging you uh, to catch up on your tithe. There's a cool way that you can give and it's on our app, our GHBC app. And if you have a, a, a smartphone, mine's saying backup failed. I don't know how smart these things are, but anyhow, let me just move that. Uh, but there is a place here, uh, our GHBC app. You can go to the app store, you can download it, it's free. You can take notes. The notes are already printed in your, um, on your phone if you're there and you're tech savvy. If you're not, uh, then ask your grandson. He will be happy to help your granddaughter. Uh, speaking of which, I got a wonderful um, Facebook uh, post this week. It was a private message. Just by a show of hands, how many of you are on Facebook or you're familiar with, with Facebook? All right, a bunch of you are, or Twitter, Instagram, and those kind of things. Well, I got one of those messages. You say, was it one of those messages? It was one of those messages. And it, it just blessed my heart and encouraged me. And I'm gonna leave the names anonymous, but I am going to just give you just a brief paragraph of what this person wrote to me this week. If you are new to Great Hills, so during this, uh, this year of 2018, we're looking at uh, we're calling it for the one. And we're looking at the encounters of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. 
where he engages in dialogues with people that he's ministering to. He's, he's helping them. He's healing them. He's giving them the gospel. He, he's really our, our pattern. He is our template that we, we seek to emulate. We seek to follow. And we have these four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are amazing depictions of the life of Christ. They are biographical studies of Jesus. And so I get uh, this Facebook post and it says the following words. Just wanted to let you know that the for the one message is making it down to the little ones. I took my five-year-old daughter to the doctor for a checkup and as the doctor was listening to her heart, she pats the doctor on the arm and says, Jesus loves you. The seven-year-old who's in the room with them says, and he died for your sins. So, <laughs> I thought, isn't that precious? We got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old evangelizing the, the doctor. You say, well, where did they learn that? Well, praise the Lord, they learn it at home and they're learning it in our church because that's what we're doing. We are focusing on people. I'm learning more and more as the more we focus on Jesus and focus on people and trying to help people, the less we'll focus on ourselves, our problems, our criticisms, our arguments, our complaints. The more we're focusing on Christ and focusing on people, so many people, need him, especially in our great city here in Austin. So if you have a Bible, I do invite you to turn with me in the gospel of Matthew. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter nine today, beginning in verse nine and go through verse 13. And the four of the one today is this gospel writer, a man by the name of Matthew. And that would be the first gospel recorded in your canonical listing of the New Testament. You have Matthew and Mark and Luke are known as the synoptic writers. And then you have John, and you have the Apostle John and his wonderful depiction of the life of Christ. But today we're gonna to study Matthew. Matthew is a fascinating man. And as we walk through this, uh, this lesson today, I, I have a couple of objectives. First of all, I really do want you to learn and know more about this apostle of Jesus Christ. He's also known by the name of Levi. He never calls himself Levi, but Matthew, but Mark and uh, Luke, excuse me, Mark and Luke do refer to him as Levi at the beginning of their books, but later on, they simply refer to him as Matthew. Some people believe that Jesus changed his name from Levi uh, to Matthew. We know a lot about him through studying church history and tradition, and we know a lot more about him when we read Matthew chapter nine, when Jesus Christ engages him. And Jesus speaks to him and he tells him, follow me. And Matthew leaves his tax collecting, lucrative accounting finance job, he leaves it, and he goes and he follows Jesus Christ. And the first thing he does, it's a beautiful thing that he does, is he invites all of his friends. He says, come to my house because I've invited Jesus Christ to come to my home and he wants to speak to all of you people. And so that's exactly what we read in Matthew chapter nine. There's some fascinating things about this man that I'll share with you in just a moment. Then I've got some, some points I wanna look at with you through the text. And then I'm gonna close my time with you today with just three very simple very practical, hopefully applicable things, salient features from this text that you can apply to your life. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I'm really jacked up about this message. I'm excited to be able to preach it. And let me just say again, I'm glad that you're here. Guests, we, we're especially glad that you're here. We're doing a lot of this for you because we want you to know the Lord. We want you to come into this relationship with God through Christ. It's a relationship built on trust and faith. It's not on works, it's not on things that we do, but it's in just having simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, and what he did. What he did on the cross, how he arose from the dead, and he steps right out of heaven into our hearts when we simply believe, 
trust in him, quit leaning on our own understanding, on our own ways of doing things, and just yield ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. There is such a beauty. There is a profound beauty, freedom, release, and joy when we just take all of our sin and just say, God, I can't carry it anymore, and I just give it to you. And God says, what took you so long? He takes it from us. He redeems us. He restores us. He, he rejuvenates us. He refreshes us. He gives us all those blessed spiritual gifts and wonderful things. And we thank God, thank you for your grace. I, I hope that you never get over the grace of God. If you get over God's grace, then you become legalistic and pharisaical and you become overly religious. And that is not a place that you wanna be because the people in the New Testament who got to that place were always the very people that criticized Jesus Christ vociferously. I mean, vehemently criticized him because they, the religious leaders had lost their way. They forgot about grace and everything became about law. So let me read it to you. It's Matthew chapter nine. And the Bible says in verse nine, and Jesus passed on from there. He is in Capernaum, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, Galilean headquarters. He spent a year and a half of his time in this city. It was his base of operation. He would move out from uh, Capernaum of Galilee and he would go and minister. Oftentimes he would come down to Jerusalem, but he'd make his way back up to Capernaum. And as he's passing through Capernaum, he saw a man. And his, the man's name is Matthew, also known as Levi, and he is sitting at the tax office. Now, the reason he's sitting at the custom office, the excise office, the tax office, is because his job was a tax collector, especially there on the Sea of Galilee. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So Jesus said to him, follow me. Jesus did not say to him, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He didn't tell him that because he wasn't a fisherman. Like Peter and Andrew, when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, they left their nets and they followed Jesus. But this man was an accountant. He was an economic guy. He was a finance guy, a banking kind of guy. And Jesus said, lay down that lucrative life and really lay down that sinful way of making a living and I want you to come and follow me. So he arose, Matthew says, uh, and he says, and I followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table. Now you got to go to Mark and Luke to understand the table or the house. Matthew is not telling us, but Mark tells us and Luke tells us explicitly that the very house that we're talking about is Matthew's house. You can read it. You can cross-reference it. You can read the very same situation there is he is in Jesus. Jesus is in Matthew's house. He's sitting at his table and behold, here it comes. Many tax collectors. You say, why are there so many? Because that was his friends. These, these are his buddies. These are his friends and many sinners. They were sinners. They'd broken the law. They were not keeping all the ceremonial laws and they were fleecing their own people through collecting taxes. And what they would do is they would take a little money and they would kind of stick it in their pockets and they shouldn't be doing that, but they should be giving it over to Rome. But they, they fleeced their own people to increase their bank accounts. And so Matthew has a lot of these buddies. And they came and they sat down in Matthew's house with Jesus and his disciples. Now, when the Pharisees saw it, now, if you're new to Christianity or if you're new to the Bible, I, I just want you to know something. Whenever you see the word Pharisees, this is a ruling elite religious body 
that ruled Palestine. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you have the Sanhedrin, you have the Essenes, you have the, the lawyers and the scribes. You have all of these people and 99% of them were absolutely antagonistic toward Jesus Christ. Now, there are a few who weren't, like, um, like Nicodemus, for example. He, he wasn't, he, he accepted Christ, but most of them did not. And so when the Pharisees saw it, what a powerful antecedent. That word it refers to the whole ambiance of what is going on. You have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come down from heaven. He walks into a house and he is surrounded by sinners. People who break the law, people who rob their own people. And, and there's just all this atmosphere of sinful people and Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and on the periphery, the, the tertiary people are the scribes and the Pharisees and the rulers of the law, and they are very, very concerned about what is about to go down here. Do y'all get the scene in your mind? Are you with me? And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, now they're asking a question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he, he said to them, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I came for sinners to repentance. I just wanna interject at that point there. Aren't you glad Jesus said that? <laughs> Had he not said that, and there's not one single solitary soul on the planet who would be able to get out of earth and our sin and our degradation and our lifestyle and our habits and our hangups and our addictions and all the things that we've done, there is no way that we could ever lift ourselves out of that and go to God and go to heaven. And Jesus said, you couldn't make it to me, so I had to come down to you and get you. And I don't know about y'all, but almost to 54 years of living, looking back on my life, I say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for saving sinners like me. Amen. So we're going to look at the life of Matthew, just a brief biography of, of his life. And then we're going to transition into some of these things I wanted to make sure you get from the text and just some points of application. So Matthew, there's a lot of things we know about him. First of all, we know that he was a Hebrew. Uh, he quotes the Old Testament far more than all the other gospel writers combined. He quotes the Old Testament. He will say things like, and thus it is written, and thus it is written. He constantly reflects back to the Old Testament. He's very, very much a Hebrew of the Hebrews, all right? That much we know about him. Number two, we know that he's a tax collector. And being a tax collector like, like uh, Zacchaeus, um, th th this was not a, kind of just think of the most shady lawyer in town, all right? And then, I mean, really just think of, a, no, no, I didn't say all lawyers and all attorneys were shady, but I'm thinking there are some, and you just think of the most shady one, the most controversial one, then you begin to understand a little bit of the lifestyle of the tax collectors. And so Matthew, for example, he would be sitting at his excise office, his tax collecting office there at the Sea of Galilee. 
When the fisherman would come off the water, he would say, you owe Rome some money. We're going to pay tax. You're going to pay tax on that fish that you've collected. And so they would. There was a road, interesting, a road that ran from Babylon all the way in the east, all the way down to Rome. And it passes right through Palestine. It comes right through uh, Israel. It comes right through the Sea of Galilee area. And there Matthew sat. And as you brought your goods and your uh, you, you know, you, what you're trying to sell and bring through the country, Matthew would say on behalf of the Roman government, as you come through Israel, we need to levy a tax on you. And so they would pay their tax. And Rome, with those monies, would put it toward the military. They would put it toward um, public buildings and roads and those kind of things. But here's the catch in all of it. And so well, it's not a big deal. We all pay taxes. Benjamin Franklin, we all die. We all pay taxes. Yeah. But here's the thing about it. Tax collectors... They were Jews who worked for Rome. That was a no-no. And then they were not only Jews who worked for Rome, but they and everybody knew that they did it. They would take money and they would pocket it. They would put it into their own coffers and then they would send the rest to Rome. And so they're fleecing their own people. And because of that, yes, Matthew has become very wealthy, but he's also very hated. And nobody hated them more than the Pharisees because they, they look at them as you have betrayed, you are traitors to our religion. You are traitors to our nation. Uh, Tacitus who's one of the church historians. He said, you know why? You, there's only one statue of a tax collector in all of Israel because there's only one good one among the bunch. I mean, they, they were hated. They were known as, they were put in the same category in the Talmud. And now the Talmud, is a commentary on the Old Testament. And the commentary, the rabbinic teaching said, tax collectors are in the same category as thieves and murderers. That's how they were viewed. And here Matthew is, he's a Hebrew, he's a tax collector. And the third thing I want you to note about him is he is, in spite of all of that, he is very religious. He is. He has, he has a real proclivity and a tendency toward religious things. You may ask me today, so well, why or how could it be that a tax collector who is on the fringe really of, of Hebrew and Judaism because of his lifestyle, how is it that he could go from that to become a writer of the gospel of Matthew? Let me ask you another question. How could a man who had such a hot temper by the name of John, a son of thunder. How could he go from that and become the writer of the gospel of John? Let me ask you one more question and please tell me how this guy named Saul, who hated Christians, who murdered Christians, who hated them vehemently, how could he go from that to Paul and write over half of the New Testament? And I just want to answer that. It's called the grace of God. God takes sinful people he takes the sinful Matthews and the, the, the sinful Sauls of Tarsus and the sinful Johns with his hot temper and Jesus saves them and changes them, gives them a new nature, puts his Holy Spirit within them so that now they are writing about the very faith that they did not understand or persecuted. It's called God's grace. So just a little bit of background, a little bit of history about Matthew. I love this guy. I've enjoyed so much this week learning about him. Last thing I'll say about him is this. 
He's sent out from the apostolic band and he goes to Ethiopia. John Fox in his book of martyrs tells us what happens to Matthew. <laughs> Matthew goes to Ethiopia and he preaches the gospel. Scores of people come to faith in Christ in that African country. And as he's preaching the gospel, he's arrested, he's beheaded. His very head is severed from his corpus, his body. And he dies the death of a martyr. You say, why in the world would he do that? Why in the world are there people today who are still giving their lives? And here's, here's the best answer that I can come up with. Because they experienced the grace of God and they want others to experience the grace of God. Okay, so there's a command as you're staying along with me. And if you have, if you're, if you're old fashioned, like, kind of like me and you want to write notes, there is in your bulletin, there is a sheet, a leaflet of paper there. You can take it out. There are four points and there are three sub points. And so I just want to walk through these with you very quickly. First of all is, well, not too quickly, but first of all is um, the command. And Jesus says in verse nine, did you catch that? He's walking along there from uh, Capernaum and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And that is a present active imperative. It's not a suggestion or a recommendation. Jesus tells Matthew, Matthew, listen to me. I know you and I know all about you. And I want you to take your life and I want you to lay it down and I want you to follow me. Later on in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, whoever comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And here's the Greek word, akolotheo, follow after me. This present, keep on habitual present tense, active, not passive. It's not something acted upon you. It's something that you do. You follow me and it is in the imperative mood. It is a commandment. Follow me, he says. And so he, he did. He, he leaves his occupation there in Capernaum and he follows after Christ. I see those pictures now. Thank you all for showing them. Maybe you can show it to the whole church here. This is the, we were in Capernaum just a few weeks ago. I, that's one of my favorite, favorite places. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the place where Jesus spent a lot of his time, uh, a year and a half. If you look at the next slide here, we'll see that is the remains of the old uh, synagogue where Jesus taught in Capernaum. It's fascinating. When you go to Israel, the guides will tell you now, we know Jesus was somewhere in the vicinity, but when you go to Capernaum and you go to the synagogue, they say, well, he was like right here. He taught right here. And those are the remains of that synagogue. And then I think there's one more picture, maybe not. And that's just kind of a different view as you look at it from a distance. That is the remains of the synagogue that Jesus taught in uh, Capernaum. So he says, uh, Matthew, I want you to follow after me. And Matthew just, he doesn't argue, he doesn't debate. Here, here's, here's my theory, and I, I may be wrong, but this is my theory. Matthew is like a lot of people in Austin, Texas. They have a propensity and a proclivity toward religious things. And by the way, if y'all don't believe our city is incredibly religious, you're mistaken. We, have, we are very, very religious. And that doesn't mean we worship God. A lot of them don't worship God. They have all kinds of gods and goddesses and idols and pleasure and those kind of things. But Matthew, he was leaning toward, I mean, Judaism and Hebrew and, and he, he loves the Old Testament. And yet he has a job 
He has a job that he he knows it's not right. And he has this Old Testament background and he has these torn, he's torn between, you know, just just surrendering completely and and, and staying with his, his old life. And along comes Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, Matthew, I'm gonna make you make a choice right now. You leave this life, and you know this life is not healthy for you. Leave this life, and you come and follow me. And if you follow me, Matthew, I promise you, I will live my life through you. I'll give you meaning. I will give you purpose. I will give you joy. Follow me, Matthew. And Matthew follows Jesus. And here's what I'm finding. There's a lot of people in this great city. If you and I had the, had the vibe and the and the moxie and the courage of a Jesus Christ and were to say, hey, I know you're searching and I know you're incredibly religious. Why don't you lay all of that down and follow after Jesus Christ? Many would, many would. In fact, there's data to prove it. A few years ago, there's a guy named Tom Rayner who did a survey of America and he found like 160 million unchurched lost people in America. They have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And in his survey, he found that 43 million Americans would attend a Bible study or a church service if only a Christian would ask them. Isn't that amazing? 17 million of those 43 million would absolutely say yes to Jesus Christ if you and I would just ask them. (laughs) If we just ask them, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior? 17 of the 160 million would say yes. I'm waiting on that. I've been waiting on something. And I know some of y'all have some jaded thinking. You're looking at me like, you don't know my friends. You don't know those heathens I hang out with in my work. You don't know the people I live in my neighborhood. Have you asked them? Have you asked them to invite them to come to church? Have you invited them to come to Jesus Christ and they could know him? Well, Jesus did it to Matthew. He said, follow me. The second thing I want you to notice is this. The meeting. There's a meeting that happens in the house. Oh, I would love to have been there, wouldn't you? I mean, Jesus Christ is in the house with all these um, sinners and tax collectors and people who have broken the law, violated religion, and they are just, they've come together, there's a bunch of them, because they know Matthew and Matthew is their friend and Matthew's invited them and they come to the house. And there Jesus is. I like what one writer says about this meeting. He says, Matthew's reaction is a thrilling thing. I think he understood Jesus best of all. He knew what pleased Jesus the most, and that was to preach to more people like himself. To preach to more people like Matthew would please Jesus Christ to his utter core. He knew what pleased him the most. No sooner was he converted that he arranged a party and he called all the sinners, all the harlots, All the publicans and tax collectors come to my house. This reflects the kind of company that Matthew kept. Jesus had the privilege of preaching to them. The Bible says that there were many and many followed him. When Matthew was reached by Jesus, immediately he wanted to reach everybody else of his class. And so that is the meeting in the house. You know, Brand new Christians make amazing missionaries. They make amazing witnesses. When somebody first comes to faith in Christ, I mean, they are excited, they are zealous, they wanna tell the world, they wanna be baptized, they they wanna get active in church. and, And I know over time, unfortunately, 
that, that relationship with Jesus, it just kind of cools and it kind of, and if we're not careful, it kind of stagnates. And if we're not very careful, we will become the very people on the tertiary, on the periphery, on the outside, instead of remembering the grace of God that redeemed us and res rescued us, we'll be the religious group on the outside, condemning and rebuking and arguing with those who are trying to come to Jesus. That's a fascinating thing. It is a fascinating thing that I see in 30 plus years of ministry and preaching, I see it growing in number instead of diminishing in number. So if you know the Lord and you've accepted Christ, then be like Matthew, be, invite your friends, invite them to church, invite them to your home and, and share your faith. And here's the way you keep from becoming a Pharisee and a religious person who's just angry all the time is you keep close to Jesus and you keep telling other people about Jesus. And that is a great remedy for becoming a Pharisee. The third thing I wanna share with you today is the question. There's an interesting question that is asked and it's asked by the Pharisees. Now, notice with me that they ask a question, but they're not asking, they're making a statement. You, you, you ever done that? Like some of you ladies would ask your husband as he's about to go out to work, you're not really wearing that, are you? Is that a question? Well, yes, technically, grammatically. Well, why did he go back in the closet and change his shirt, you know, and change his socks and his and shirt? So the, the Pharisees are doing that. They're asking a question, but they're much more asking than a question. It's a very declarative statement when they say in verse 11, why, hear the sarcasm, why does your teacher eat with those sinners? those tax collectors and those sinners. That was unthinkable. They're, they're, they're defiled. They should be punished. They should be ostracized. You are a rabbi for heaven's sake. What are you doing in the house with sinners? And oh my word, you're gonna contaminate yourself. You're gonna be in big trouble, Mr. Rabbi Jesus. Why in the world are you hanging out with those kind of people? Well, Jesus heard it, right? Because the Bible says when Jesus heard, he began to respond to them. So the question before us is, why is Jesus eating with sinners? And here's the answer. Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Aren't you glad today there's nothing that you can do that would so separate you from God that God would not love you. God loves you. And again, I, I, I think the greatest danger in Christendom, especially among Southern Baptists, is we have forgotten what the grace of God has saved us from. And as long as we forget about grace, we become more and more interested in rules and regulations and preferences and the way things I think they ought to be like Instead of, well, what is the better question is, is this gonna reach people? Is this gonna reach a Matthew? Is this gonna reach a lost Austinite? Then if it is, and it doesn't compromise the word of God, then go for it. They, they couldn't get there. The Pharisees, the scribes. I made a note here to read this. Oftentimes the desire to reach lost people headed to hell is not enough motivation to appease those who prefer church to be exactly the way they want it. You say, now what great scholar did you just read from? Well, that would just be me. No great scholar, 
the simple Baptist pastor. And I want to read it again because I think it's a, it's a good word for, for us all. Oftentimes the desire to reach lost people headed to hell is not enough motivation to appease those who prefer church to be exactly what they want it to be. There's a man, his name is Jeff, and I'll, I'll let him decide if he wants to tell you his last name. But Jeff uh, was a missionary. Now he did coach me on how to say this next part. In an island in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> the Indian Ocean's big, there's lots of islands, and he wants me to say it like that. When he got there, the, the Southern Baptist, the mission outpost, they had baptized four or five people the entire year before the missionary got there. There's 1.5 million people on this island. And he goes, uh, how many people did y'all baptize last year? We baptized four. He goes, well, what is y'all's problem? And they're like, excuse me? Well, you just don't understand how hard it is here. You don't understand what we're doing here. He says, well, how hard could it be for us to go out and tell people about Christ and, and baptize them and plant more churches? And boy, he made some enemies. And so that's what he did. He went out, in one year, they baptized 1,000 people on that island. They planted dozens and dozens of churches. He sat in my office just a few weeks ago, and he said, let me, let me just tell you something, brother. Do you know who persecuted me the most? It wasn't the natives. It wasn't the people on the island. It was the Christians. It was the Christians. Because I wasn't doing it the way they thought I should do it. I was coloring outside the lines and I was literally going after lost people and, and, I, and I was a threat to them and they, and they disliked me and they made life miserable for me because I was doing things a little bit differently. And by the way, I call him the LeBron James of missionaries. And you're gonna get to hear him preach. And I want you to mark it down on your calendar. He told me, he said, and he's very humble but the power and the anointing of God is on his life. He said, I, I, God has given me a sermon. And whenever I preach it all over the world, wherever I preach it, God does amazing things. I said, are you available? And he says, I am available. September the 2nd. September the 2nd, he will be here. And he will preach that message that God gave him where he says all over the world, amazing things happen. He's in Austin right now. And I just happened to meet him. If he wants to tell you how I met him, that's fine. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say he's going to come and preach, and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome, September the 2nd. So the answer. The last point here is the answer, and I love Jesus' answer to the biting, caustic, critical question. The, the, the answer, Jesus said he heard them, and he replied to them, and, and this is beautiful. It's beautiful what he said. Those who are well... They don't need a physician, but the sick people do. And you got to understand, Jesus was not calling the scribes and the Pharisees righteous. In fact, I think I have this jotted down. Yes, Matthew 5, 20, Jesus told the people, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never go to heaven. But what he is saying, here's what I think he's saying. He said, I did not come to call the righteous. I don't know if they talked like that back then. But in my mind, that's what Jesus is saying. You think you're righteous. I didn't come for you. I did not come for you. I came for them. Now, 
I would gladly save you. I would gladly help you. I would gladly take you to heaven with me, but you absolutely despise me. You reject me. So I didn't come for you. I come for them. I didn't come to call the righteous. I come to call lost sinners on their way to hell. You know, Jesus is really attractive, isn't he? I think the, the more of you know him, because some of you are jaded and some of you are skeptical about religion and about organized church. And, but listen, when you look at Jesus, he is amazing. Now, we, we mess up a lot in Christianity. We mess up a lot in church, but he never messes up. And he says, here, here, I, I didn't come to call you. I came to call them because you are absolutely dead set against me. In fact, here's what I want you to do. <laughs> look at verse 13. He said, I want you to go and learn something. Woo, come now. Come on. That defiled, contaminated rabbi preacher who's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, the lowest of the low has the audacity to tell me, PhD, rabbi, glorious man that I am, he's telling me I need to go and study the law. Just, let's just kill this guy. Are you with me? Let's just kill this guy. And Jesus said, hold on a second. Y'all need to go and, and learn something. And go, to, go to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where the Bible says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, by the way, it's, it's on like Donkey Kong now. It's, it's no longer Jesus and the publicans and the harlots and the sinners and him talking to them. He has given his undivided attention to the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the religious aristocrats. And I thought to myself, God, why do you keep this in the Bible? Why, do you, why is it in the Gospels that everywhere Jesus goes, he is attacked and he is criticized and he's ridiculed and he's hated? And I felt the Holy Spirit impressed for me when I was studying this text this week because it's like, until he comes again, they will always be in the church. They will always be in religion. They have their way of doing things. They have their preferences. They have their idols. And if you start poking in those and messing with those, they will hate you for it. But that's just truth. That is reality. And so Jesus says, why don't y'all go and study the book of Hosea? Why Hosea? Do y'all remember the book of Hosea? Let me just quickly tell you what Hosea is all about. I know it's 12 o'clock. And you are very welcome to leave. Seriously, if you, if you need to go to work, if you need to go eat, you're just absolutely ravished and hungry, you're, you're welcome to go. But I really need to share this message. The book of Hosea has to do with a man by the name of Hosea. <laughs> and he has a wife by the name of, nobody names their child Gomer. He said, Gomer Powell? No, it doesn't count, Gomer. And Gomer is a very promiscuous, uh, adulterous mama. She's very, very unfaithful to Hosea, uh, her husband. And God tells Hosea, go and get this woman and marry her. Take her out of harlotry and prostitution and marry her. And he does. She continues her life of prostitution. And, and God says, Hosea, go to the slave block. Go to the market. She will be on display. And she will go to the highest bidder. And I want you to be the highest bidder, Hosea. Go buy her back. In all of her sin and all of her fornication and all of her sexual promiscuity and all of her adultery, Hosea, go buy 
her back. That's called the grace of God. That is God loving sinful people so much that that's the whole book of Hosea. And Jesus says, you rascals, you don't even understand. You with me? You, you tell me what Hosea is about. You don't understand. You need to go back and read it. Ooh, that's not how you win friends and influence Pharisees. <laughs> I hated him for that. Go and learn. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Man. That's the answer. Desire, mercy, equated to the knowledge of God in this Hebrew parallelism verse of Hosea 6. Sacrifice, religious duties, burnt offerings. Jesus is like, you know, if I had a choice and you want to bring a million dollars to Great Hills Baptist Church and have a mean spirit and a hard heart, I, I would much rather not take that then I would take a person who just says, I love Jesus and I just wanna tell lost people about Jesus. That's what God's attracted to. There are three things I wanna close with and I and will promise you I'll let you go after I get something to drink. <clears throat> I tried to capture this so that you could remember it. Major on the mission, flee Pharisaism, and go for the one. Major on the mission is number one. The mission is Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save lost people. By the way, that's our mission. At Great Hills Baptist Church, we are a church. We're an evangelical Christian church. Our mission is the same as his mission. Our mission is for the one, to reach lost Austinites, to tell them that this God of the book of Hosea this same God came in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And this same God, he loves you. He loves lost people. That is our mission. That is our mandate. That is, our, that is really our vision, all capsulated into one. Reach people with the gospel. Train them up so they become disciples and let them go and tell the world about Christ. Number two, flee Pharisaism with everything within your very fiber. Flee it. Run from it. Run from it because it is deathly. It is, it is horrible. It will, it will damage your soul. I promise you, flee it. You say, but I have a propensity toward it. I like my religion. I like the way the things, I want things. And I get, I get just a little bit upset. Things don't go the way I want to go. Flee it. Flee it in Jesus' name. Leave it. Because what will happen is you'll be so cold, so consumed with the way things look and the way things sound and the way things kind of come together, you'll become so consumed with that that you'll miss the very mission and that is, it's not about you. It's about Jesus, it's about lost people. Now, many of us will sit there and say, well, amen, brother, just preach it. That is a good word. Listen, it's not a good word unless you practice it. Because if we're not careful, Southern Baptist Convention, if we're not careful, we're going to keep on dying and there ain't going to be that many of us left. Because we've become hardened. We've become set in our ways. 
And anything that looks a little bit different or sounds a little bit different or is a different little flavor to it, we got the money and we don't like it. So we'll take our money and we'll leave it. We'll leave it. Now listen, if your heart is drawn toward that today, come on and run. Just, just say, in Jesus' name, I am resisting that temptation and I'm leaving that temptation. And, and, and Pastor Danny, I hear what you're saying. The best possible thing that I could do to alleviate that situation is to get out of my comfort zone and go tell somebody about Christ. Yes, that is the answer. And what will happen is you'll, you'll remember what God saved you from. And the tertiary things of life, they won't matter anymore. You'll think, wow, that's what God said. Woo, Jesus, you saved me. Man, God saved me out of that. How can I be critical? How can I be so upset about that when God saved me? And, and, and I know God can save you. Vivian, God bless you. Wherever you are in the church, I think she's 80 years old. Last week, she comes out to the Welcome Center. There's this young couple there. She goes, Pastor, I want you to meet this young couple. And young couple, I hope you are here today. That'd be wonderful. 80-year-old Vivian and 30-year-old couple, and uh, she's introducing me to them. First time, Great Hills Baptist Church has a son. God bless y'all. And I overhear them as they're walking out. Vivian says, and, and so we're getting together for dinner tomorrow night. I was like, what? What? Is that not awesome? Young couple, Vivian, Leo, taking them out to dinner tomorrow night. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Loving people, inviting them to dinner. We ain't got time to complain. The last thing is for the one. Who is our one this week? Who would Jesus lead me to this very week so that I could engage them, talk to them, pray for them? <laughs> what time is it? Good night. Where does the time go? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So... People in the preschool are going to be very upset. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you. Yeah, Y'all give them grace. When you go get your kids, give them a 10 or a 20 and just thank you for keeping my kids. That's just a lady at IHOP yesterday. We're right here down the street from the church and she's giving me my fried eggs and hash browns and pancakes and man, life is good and I'm, I'm eating this stuff and I'm like, we're going to be praying for you. She stopped in her tracks and looked at me like, at first she was so absolutely startled. And then it just all, the, all everything just kind of just put it down. All because I just said, hey, thank you for serving us. We're, we're going to be praying for you. She couldn't thank me enough. As we were trying to leave, she was just like following me. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. And I gave her 20 cents for a tip because... Hey. 20 plus percent, I'm sorry, misunderstood. Hey, listen, if, if you're going to talk about Jesus and you don't give them a good tip, do not invite them to Great Hills Baptist Church. We, no, we give them Jesus and give them, give them a good tip. So who, who is your Rebecca this week? Who, just, just pray. Let's pray with me right now. Father in heaven, lead us. Lead us as we go to the Matthews who are ready the 17 plus million who would say yes if we would just ask them. Break our hearts, God, for the lost of this world. Help us, Lord, not to become those guys in the house that day, angry, critical, 
missing heaven because they don't understand what God is doing. Lord, help us not be like that. Please help us not be like that. But may our hearts be sensitive to the hurting people when you said, God, I desire mercy and sacrifice. I desire loving lost people more than I do religion. Your head's bowed, or eyes are closed. I wonder what God's saying to us today. Maybe you're here today. You're Matthew. There's no doubt. You're him. You're her. You have a heart for spiritual things. But you've never just laid it down and said, I'm coming and I'm going to follow Christ. But today you heard the clarion call of God through the simple preaching of his word. And you're laying that life down and you're pursuing Christ today. And I, I say, hallelujah, you're, you're welcome to the family of God. Others of you, you you're pharisaical in your, your bent and, and you're fighting it with everything within you. God bless you. Keep fighting it. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep being comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's okay. Because what we're really, really trying to do at Great Hills is we're trying to reach people on their way to hell. I hope, I hope that's motivation enough for you. I was so proud of you last week, Great Hills Baptist Church. I know your heads are bowed. I know your eyes are closed and closed. I know I'm supposed to be praying, but I just got to brag on you. Last week, we had what we call a grill and swim, and there were a bunch of people out at the park. And there were a bunch of new people that came just walking up to us. And I watched you, church. I do watch you. Almost as much as you watch me. I, I was watching. How would you treat new faces? Praise the Lord. I watched as so many of you stopped what you were doing and left your, your cozy, holy huddles. And you would run to those people, those new faces. And, and, I, and for some reason, Gary, I, I, I'm still seeing you in my mind. Gary Jones, I think he spent an hour with a couple I think he had no idea who they were. And I just say, thank you, Lord. That's what we got to do, Great Hills. That's what we got to do on Sundays. That's, what, that's the kind of spirit we have to have because there are lost, hurting people all around us. Go for them. And God, our heart breaks for, for the hurting and for the lost. And God, make our hearts break. Help us to be ever so mindful because there is a Matthew. There is a woman at the well. There is somebody, even this week, God, that we can touch, that we can help. Please help us not to miss them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.